Thank you so much, praise team, for leading us to the Lord this morning. And Julie and Courtney, that was a wonderful duet. Thank you for blessing us so much with that. If you have ever heard Chuck Swindoll's famous quote on attitude, it is very much worth reviewing. If you've heard it before, let me share it with you again. Here's what Pastor Swindoll has to say. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. And then the final paragraph in this famous statement, which so many of you know, let's read it together. Join me. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Now, how do we develop a positive Christian attitude? Well, Pastor Swindoll says we choose it. We choose it. Do you know the Apostle James would agree? Open your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. And I want you to look with me at the first two verses for just a moment. This morning we are going to begin looking at a series of messages out of James chapter 1. And this morning, we are going to talk together about the power to choose life's attitude. And listen to what James says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And then he gets right after it, doesn't he? Count it all joy, my brothers... When you meet trials of various kinds. So the first thing that James says to us as he opens up his very practical letter is that to get through life, we must choose a positive Christian attitude. Uh, The word count here that he begins verse 2 with is a term that refers to the mind. It means to think. 
uh, to consider, to calculate. It carries the idea of to regard. Uh, One Bible teacher says it calls for the conscious acceptance of a definite inner attitude. So right from the get-go, what is James saying to us? He's telling us to adopt an attitude of joy in the midst of all of our problems. Now we, we say, how? For, for many of us, we think our attitude is really determined by what happens to us. We do not think that we choose every day our attitude. And so we say, well, how does this work? Well, there's a principle here in this opening section of James that is the key to you and I having the right attitude. Let's affirm this principle together. Say it with me. The right Christian attitude results from choosing the right Christian focus. That is so very simple, yet is very, very critical. Our attitude comes from what we focus on. So what is the focus of our life, regardless of our circumstances, will determine the outlook of our life. And notice the word choosing is in red. You know why? Because that's the key, isn't it? Every day that I live, I have the choice as to what I will focus on. And what I focus on will determine the attitude that I have. And so this morning, what we want to see from James is what is it that we ought to choose to focus on. Let's continue reading verses 3 and 4 for just a moment. For you know that the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's bow our hearts together for prayer for just a moment. Father, all of us today are beset by trials, by problems and difficulties. It's been said if you are not coming out of a problem, you are probably in one, and if you're not in one, you will be. And Lord, sometimes the trials and difficulties of our lives are so complex, so hard for us to understand, that we're like Job's three friends, trying to analyze and trying to figure out why it is that God has permitted this in our lives. And we're thankful that you have not left us without your word. You have not left us without understanding. You have told us that we can count, we can calculate, we can regard and consider and understand what it is that you are doing. And I pray today, Father, that we as your suffering and perplexed people would have the right focus so we might have the right attitude so that you might be glorified in all things. 
For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now James begins by telling us here that the first thing that we have to focus on in the midst of all of our trials are the opportunities, not just the obstacles. How hard it is for us to do this. Now in verse 2, when he talks about trials of various kinds, he is talking about obstacles, adversities, hardships, and afflictions. And these troubles are very, very painful. They are hard to bear, and much of the time they block the road to our happiness. Yet James is saying here, in the midst of them, we are to adopt this joyful outlook. And we say, well, how can we do that? Well, I think the key to this opening verse is to understand that joy here, count it all joy, is a figure of speech. It is what is known as a metonymy. Now, we all know what a synonym is. A synonym is another word that means the same thing. A metonym is a change of words in which one word is placed for another. So metonymy is where you uh, substitute one thing for another, like the effect for the cause. Uh, When the angels came to the shepherds, they said, I announce to you a great joy. Joy was put for the birth of Christ. That's a metonymy. Joy is the effect, and the cause is what produces that joy, some event or some occasion. So here in James 1, verse 2, the idea is this, count it all an occasion for joy. If you have the New Living Translation, it says this, whenever trouble comes your way, Let it be an opportunity for joy. Now that helps us understand how it is possible for us to have a joyful attitude in the midst of very painful troubles. You see, joy is usually the result of something good that happens to us. An opportunity or an occasion in life that we say, oh, this is going to be good for me. That's usually what produces joy. Now what he's saying to us then is this, that trials are like that for us. They are an opportunity that we are holding in our hands. That's what he's saying. Understand that that the troubles and the pain and the hardship and the adversity that has come into your life is like an opportunity that you are holding in your hands. Uh, There's an unknown author, I don't know who his name is, but he said this, an obstacle is often an unrecognized opportunity. You know, I'd like to say for Christians, take the word often out and put the word always in. For a Christian, an obstacle is always an unrecognized opportunity. 
And notice that James says, when we have that outlook, it leads to, as the NIV says here, the New International Version, it leads to pure joy. You know what pure joy is? Pure joy is unmixed joy. It is joy that is without bitterness, without anger, and without resentment. When we see our problems and our trials as opportunities for God to do something very special in our life, then what that leads to is an inner joy that is not mixed with bitterness, with anger, and with resentment. By the way, how many of you want to live that kind of a life? I do. We may be weeping because of pain, but we can have joy because we know God's plan. Let me say that again. That's so important to get that balance. We may be weeping because of God's or because of of the pain we're in, but we have joy because of God's plan. One of the great Christian leaders of the past knew a great deal about personal pain. Uh, His name was uh, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was imprisoned and murdered by the Nazis. Look at one of the inmates in the prison camp where he was. Look at what this prison inmate said on the last day of Bonhoeffer's life. Listen to his words. On Sunday, April 8, 1945, Bonhoeffer conducted a little service of worship. He found just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment and the thoughts and resolutions it had brought us. He had hardly ended his last prayer when the door opened and two soldiers entered. He was hanged. The next day. On another occasion, reflecting upon pain, this is what Pastor Bonhoeffer had to say Pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. What an insight! That's where joy comes from. It is to understand that the pain of our life is an opportunity for us to experience spiritual treasures that would otherwise remain hidden from us forever because the only way we can learn them is through the trials of our life. Is that where our focus is? That this trouble that I'm experiencing is not just an obstacle, it is an opportunity. Notice the second focus we need to have. Secondly, James tells us that we must focus on the big picture, not just the little picture. We must focus on the big picture, not just the little picture. Notice what he says in verse 3, For you know 
that the testing of your faith produces patience, or as my Bible says, steadfastness. Now, this morning on the screen, I I have a very um, interesting camera. I am not much of a photographer, but I know what a zoom lens is. I understand what that's all about. With a zoom lens, you can take two kinds of pictures. You can take a close-up, or you can take a long shot by varying the focal length of the lens, zooming in and out. So cameras of this type can narrow in, or they can broaden out. Say, isn't life like that? Are you with me this morning? Life is like that. We can focus on one thing, the little picture, or we can focus on the big picture of our lives. If we focus on the little picture, if someone were sitting here on the front row and I zoomed in on them, I would obscure the rest. But if we focus on the big picture, then that puts everything else in perspective. Do you know what verse 3 is? Verse 3 is God's big picture. This is the big picture of what he's doing in the life of every Christian. Let's look at this big picture for just a moment. First of all, he tells us we need to understand in the big picture that troubles test our faith. When he talks about trials of various kinds, the word that he uses here in verse 2 means tests. In fact, the idea here is distresses that test. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet distresses that test of various kinds. Do you know in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said that our faith is more precious than gold? Gold is one of the precious metals. And yet Peter says that our faith is more precious than gold. Do you know something that important must be tested? Is it real? Is it genuine? Will it last? One of the great questions all of us need to know in our own life. Is my faith real? Is it genuine? Do I really know Christ? Will my faith last all the way to the end? God wants to know that too. So you know He does? He gives us distresses that test. That's the big picture. Notice secondly. Secondly, troubles prove our faith. In verse 3, he uses another word for trials that means testing. Know that the testing of your faith. Now here, it means to learn the genuineness or the reality of something by examination. It has the idea of testing for the purpose of proving. In fact, it could be the act of proving. So we could read verse 3 this way, For you know that the act of proving your faith. I have a lovely diamond ring that 
somebody in my former church gave to me. I, I meant to wear it this morning, but I forgot. Uh, one day, uh, many, many years ago now, this uh, man in our church, his name was John, he's now with the Lord, he, he came to the door of my office, he knocked, I opened the door, he said, Pastor, we love you, and he gave me a diamond ring. By the way, if you ever want to do that, uh, you do have permission for that, that will be all right, okay? And I didn't know the value of it until I had it what? Yeah, I had it appraised. In fact, I didn't have it appraised until we moved here to um, Marquette. I had it appraised over at Jandron Jewelers. Do you know how jewelers tell a fake diamond from the real thing? Anybody know? To test the genuineness of a diamond, jewelers will often place it in clear water, which causes a real diamond to sparkle with a special brilliance. An imitation diamond, however, is the glass imitation, put in the same water, will have almost no sparkle at all. When the two are placed side by side in clear water, even an untrained amateur like us can clearly tell the difference. Now listen carefully. That's what hardship does for the believer. That's what hardship does for the believer. Sometimes we gather on a Sunday and we sing that great hymn, Jesus is all the world to me. And we love to sing that hymn. But then we lose our health, our possessions, our job. Someone abuses us. And we say, why, God? Why? Here's what is happening. Our Heavenly Father, the expert jeweler, is plunging us like a diamond, not into clear waters, but into boiling waters, into turbulent waters. And He is doing that to see if our faith will sparkle or not. If our faith sparkles in love to Jesus and a willingness to follow Him despite hardship and adversity and pain, then God shows to us and He shows to others that we have something very, very special. We have a growing, maturing faith that God approves of. It is the big picture that God is driving at. He is testing our faith so that He may prove our faith. Is this our focus today? Are we focusing on the opportunities, not just the obstacles? Are we focusing on the big picture not just the little picture. I can imagine someday one of you coming to my office or me coming to you. 
And maybe I'm going through a trial, or maybe you are. And you might remind me, Pastor Brian, this is the little picture. Keep your eye on the big picture. Or I may say to you, uh, dear one, you're, you're hurting, you're suffering. This is the little picture. Please keep your eye on the big picture. Now here's the third focus. Thirdly, James tells us that we must focus on the gains, not just the losses. We must focus on the gains, not just the losses. Look at what he says we gain. When you're going through this testing and this proving, and you're submerged in the turbulent and the boiling waters, your faith produces steadfastness, and you must stay there trusting God, letting that steadfastness have its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, There's a, a saying that we have in therapy and in exercise. Would you say it with me? No pain, no gain. A number of years ago, I went through about six months of very painful therapy, and I learned... No pain, no gain. Do you know this is true spiritually? By the way, isn't this a part of the gospel message we leave out? Come to Jesus and everything will be wonderful, right? But the Bible teaches a realistic approach. The Bible says no pain, no gain. Now notice the gain. See, that's what we got to focus on in the midst of the pain. I'm standing before you this morning, and the arthritis in my neck is hardly noticeable today. The warm weather helps, but the therapy really helped, but it took six months to get to that place. No pain, there would be no gain. The same is true spiritually. Let's look at the gain here. What's the gain? Number one, pain can make us strong. It can make us strong. He says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know what this is? It's endurance. It's perseverance. It's a very interesting Greek word. It's a combination of to remain and under. To remain and under. And the picture is of somebody under a heavy load, maybe like carrying a big log, and instead of getting out from underneath that load, staying there, instead of trying to escape. One Bible teacher calls this staying power. Another Bible teacher calls this toughness. Toughness. In fact, one Bible teacher says, we could understand this phrase this way, the testing of your faith produces toughness. Toughness. God wants us to be tough in the face of adversity. And the only way to be tough is to go through the pain. The second game, the second game, 
is pain can make us grow. Pain can make us grow. These two words here, perfect and complete, they were terms that were applied to animals. Perfect meant an animal that was fully grown and no longer a baby. That's a reference to a, a lamb or a ram or, or a calf who had reached full maturity and was no longer a baby but fully grown and then complete meant an animal that had all of its parts and was not deformed. Now put that together. That's what God wants for you and me. He wants us to be fully grown up And he wants us not to be deformed in any area of character. It is a believer who is fully grown in the Lord and mature in character without deficiency or deformity. You know what the Bible teaches us? Trouble always forces us to choose. We have to choose God's way or the world's way. Trouble will always force that. I'm in the midst of a, of a painful adversity, a difficulty. Here is the world's way out. Here is God's way. There's always that choice. When we remain strong and choose God's way, we develop God's character. Let me say that again. When we remain strong and choose God's way, rather than getting out from under the load and taking the world's way, we grow strong and we develop God's character. Think of it like this. There are discouragements in your ministry. People quit on you and uh, don't follow through. And you say, well, who needs this grief? Why should I bother? Can I tell you how many times I've been there? But you decide that you're going to keep serving Jesus even though others do not. You know what you lose? You lose an easy Comfortable, hassle-free life. That's what you lose. But what you gain is this. You gain faithfulness. You gain purpose. And you gain an ability to stay focused on Jesus, not on people. And through that process... You are becoming mature and complete. Or how about this scenario? You've lost your job, and there is no immediate replacement. As time drags on, you feel irritable, downcast, and frustrated. But you decide that for the sake of your family, you're going to remain encouraging, helpful, and you're going to be a blessing to them, 
no matter how downcast, frustrated, and irritable you feel. You know what you've lost? You've lost the ability to control your circumstances. You know what you've gained? The ability to control your moods. You are becoming mature and complete. I don't know about you, but living with somebody who is frustrated and irritable and downcast because they cannot control their circumstances, but they control their moods and they remain helpful, they remain faithful, they remain encouraging, and they remain a blessing to others, there is a person who is growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You see, it is what pain accomplishes when we allow it to have the way God wants it in our life. Do you know James here is teaching us the lesson of the honeybee? I don't know if you understand much about honeybees, but let me explain to you the lesson of the honeybee. A queen bee will lay each egg in a six-sided cell like you see on the screen. The queen bee will fill it with pollen and honey that will nourish the unborn offspring. Then she seals the top of the cell with wax. Twenty-one days later, the food supply is exhausted. And you know what the newborn bee does? Wrestles squirms, strains to break the wax seal and emerge alive. The opening it makes in getting out of the wax seal is so narrow that it rubs off the membrane over the wings, enabling the bee to fly. Should the wax seal be opened prematurely, the bee will emerge without a struggle, unable to fly, because the membrane remains on the wings. It will soon be stung to death by other bees. You know why this image is so helpful? Here is one bee that has emerged... The membrane is off, and it can fly. Here's another bee just emerging, struggling, straining. And as that bee does, the membrane will come off. And that bee, too, will be able to fly. God has wisely designed a specific struggle to give the common bee life. We can trust that God will provide just the right struggles that we need in our life as well. Not to destroy us, not to bring penalties to us, 
but to bring rewards, to bring those hidden treasures that, that Bonhoeffer said can come no other way. And if we will obey God and obey Jesus and follow Him when it is difficult, then we will grow, we will stretch, and we will mature. This is the lesson of the honeybee. And it's exactly what God is doing in your life and mine. May I remind you of the principle this morning? Let's not forget it. The right Christian attitude results from choosing the right Christian focus. Trials are for opportunities. Trials are for a bigger picture of what God is doing in our life. And trials are for tremendous spiritual gain. Let's thank the Lord this very moment. Bow with me. I've been a pastor long enough to know that there is never a time in the life of a local church when people are not suffering. And I know some of you seated before me today are suffering. And God has placed this message in His words so that you would understand exactly what He's doing. That you would embrace His purpose and plan. And you would focus on the right things. So you would have the right attitude. I don't know necessarily what your suffering is. I know some of the suffering in this church. I don't know all of it. You don't know what I'm suffering. Some of you do. But not all of you. And however God has spoken to you today... Would you tell him, Lord, I'm embracing your plan. I may not be pleased about the pain. I may not be pleased about the turmoil. That does not make me happy. But your plan does. And I will allow you to have your perfect work so that I may be fully grown without any deformity in my character. Would you pray that to the Lord this morning? Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you belong to Christ. Maybe you don't really know if you're in the family of God or not. I've been speaking to Christians. This plan is not for you. 
This plan is for those in God's family. James said, my brothers, my sisters. And if you're not sure that you are in the family of God, you can turn to the Lord right now. You can say, Lord Jesus, I I know that I'm a sinner. I confess that I grumble and complain far more than I ever should. That, That reveals a serious problem in my heart. But I believe, Lord Jesus, who you are. I believe that you went to the cross for me. And you rose again. And you can say something like this, Lord Jesus, I am repenting. Turning from my own life, my own way. And I'm turning to you. By faith come into my heart. Be my Savior. By faith come into my life. Be my Lord. Forgive me of all my wrongs. Give me the life that only you can give from above. And make me a child of God. Bring me, Lord, this day by new birth into your family. And then would you say, Lord Jesus, now because I am not my own, I will follow you with all my heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Father, hear our prayers today. Take words on a page and make them live. May the Holy Spirit, by the power that He has to make alive from the dead and to renew us day by day, may He do that great and wonderful work. Today, Lord, we we don't understand why the particular trials, but we do understand the plan. And we embrace it today by faith in Jesus Christ. For his sake. Amen.